Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about some new abortion legislation. And then author Dave Getz is going to be in studio for the rest of the hour. You are listening to The Common Good. Happy Thursday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really happy to have you joining us on this Thursday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. It's there on our Facebook page where we put uh, a lot of the articles that we've been talking about. And uh, for you to continue to interact and give us your opinions on them. So you can do that at the Facebook page on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can uh, follow the show there. You can find us at 1160hope.com. There you can find old episodes. You can also be listening live as the show is going on. You can do that at 1160hope.com. Uh, and as always, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. So let's say you can't listen between 4 and 6 p.m. during the day. Uh, go ahead and download the podcast. You can then listen to the common good whenever you want. Uh, listen to it uh, while working out, while doing the dishes. You know what, John? You can even listen to it while trying to go to go to sleep. You know, well, let us put you to sleep. Some headphones on. What does that Let's say about the show? Whatever, whatever you need it for. Just go ahead and subscribe. <laughs> rate be and review. It's, it's the afternoon drive. There you exciting. go. Exciting. Yeah, some people, you know, the exciting shows put them to sleep. That's what okay. we're going for. But yes, yeah, subscri- subscribe, rate, and review. That's our producer, John, who you hear. He's behind the glass. And you usually are listening for Ian Simpkins. Uh, but Ian is out for the remainder of this week. And uh, we've got a great show ahead of us today. In fact, uh, I'm just going to do this first segment. But after that, we're going to be joined in studio by Dave Getz. Uh, Dave is an author of a book that Ian and I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with him. And then in the second hour, Greg Arthur, uh, a pastor from Indiana uh, who I went to college with, Greg is going to sit in and we're going to talk all things pastoring and wherever else the spirit leads. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so it's a good show ahead of us, and I am glad that you are joining us. Well, I did want to start with a little bit of current events and uh, something that's uh, it's a difficult story. Uh, It's about the Born Alive Bill. It is known as uh, the Born Alive Bill. Uh, And the bill is basically this. Uh, Ben Sass uh, sponsored the bill. Ben Sass, Republican from Nebraska. uh, And it was co-sponsored by 49 of his fellow Republican senators. Uh, Let me give you a little bit of background of what this bill is. Uh, The legislation provides any particular treatment uh, to babies that were were meant to be aborted but were born alive. It requires that they provide medical treatment. It mandates that doctors exercise the same degree of professional skill, care, and diligence to preserve the life and health of the child as a reasonably diligent and conscientious healthcare practitioner would render to any child born alive at the same gestational age. In other words... The Born Alive bill would have done nothing more than insist that healthcare providers treat children born alive after attempted abortions the same way 
that they would treat any other uh, infant. Uh, several Republican senators pushed back against Democrats' efforts to portray the bill as an attack on women's health care. Sass said, I know a lot of opponents of this bill sincerely believe the talking points that they read from their staffs. We've heard speech after speech after speech that have nothing to do with what's actually in the bill. Joni Ernst, a Republican from Iowa, said, my colleagues across the aisle are debating a bill that's not in front of us. They're talking about health care for women, which is abortion. This bill does not even address abortion. What this bill does is address the health care of a baby that is born after a botched abortion. We're not talking about abortion here. We're talking about the life of a child that is born. And so this uh, went up for uh, a vote and by a vote of 53-44, it failed to pass. The Senate failed to pass the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Uh, and you might be like, well, why? if 53 sounds like a majority, well, it needed 60 votes to overcome the legislative filibuster. So it needed the full 60 uh, and they were not able to get it. Just three Democratic senators crossed the aisle to vote with Republicans in favor of the legislation. Bob Casey of Pennsylvania, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Doug Jones of Alabama. All six of the Democratic senators currently running uh, for the 2020 presidential nomination voted against the bill and also ones who have, who were running, that being Cory Booker, Sherrod Brown, Kristen G- uh, Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, and Elizabeth Warren, along with independent uh, Bernie Sanders. And so that is the current state. That is all from Alexandra, Alexandra DeSanctis at the National uh, Review. Uh, and in fact, our own Senator Dick Durbin objected to the legislation on the floor that afternoon uh, before the bo- vote. But Sass excoriated him and used his remarks to explain how Democrats and their media allies hide behind euphemisms to avoid talking about the reality of the legislation. And so uh, when I read this, <clears throat> I think uh, I saw Russell Moore was uh, tweeting about it, uh, as was Justin Taylor. Uh, they were all writing about this on Twitter. And, and the general uh, feel was, if we can't pass this sort of legislation, then what is our chance here? Uh, what, uh, what legislation has any chance of passing to protect children? Or have we become so polarized on the abortion debate, I suppose, is the question we need to wrestle with. Have we become this polarized that there is... No middle ground on something like this. That does seem, quite frankly, uh, a a no brainer that if there's a botched abortion and the baby is born alive, uh, that that baby will be given all chances to live. Uh, It was interesting in the uh, Democratic um, the other night in the uh, debate, uh, Elizabeth Warren went after Michael Bloomberg for a report that he denies of years ago telling his girlfriend to get rid of the pregnancy that that she had. He said this is categorically not true. But many people have brought up kind of the double standard there of why would you excoriate him for something like that while at the same time um, be against a bill like this? I'm sure uh, there's a reason. And, uh, you know, there are nuances to these types of bills. But as so, I would encourage you to do your own research Uh, because it does feel rather straightforward. And uh, this is why Ian and I often talk about, and we had Kurt Wiggins in, who was the interim president of Caring Network the other day, 
these stories like this is why I feel like the abortion debate and the sanctity of life and standing up for the most marginalized, that being the unborn, uh, is a moral imperative for us as Christ followers. Uh, to put it another way, I do believe uh, wholeheartedly that this is a hill for us to be dying on, that this is a hill for us to be fighting on, and uh, that we as individuals and as churches need to be rising up and saying, no, this isn't okay, uh, that, that we are called absolutely to uh, care for the least and the most vulnerable, uh, and that a baby born alive after a botched abortion falls under that category. Uh, in that we need to be fighting. There's much more to the pro-life movement than just abortion, but there is abortion is certainly an, a huge portion of it. And so I think uh, this is a hard story, uh, but we need to know what's going on in Washington. So I'd encourage you to read the story, to do your research, and, uh, and make your decisions. What do you think about it? Uh, is there something that I'm missing here? Is there more nuance? Uh, and uh, I do believe that this is something increasingly that our uh, culture is um, very divided on. And I think we as Christ followers and as a church who believe in all creation, all people being cre- uh, created in the image of God and that God has knit them together in their mother's womb uh, need to be standing up for uh, the unborn. Well, coming up next, Dave Getz. Let me encourage you to stay with us because I'm excited to talk to Dave. He's author and president of CZ Strategy. Uh, Dave is going to be in studio next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. Ian Simpkins here. And after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference. I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did. And so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, glad to have you joining us today. Normally joined by Ian Simpkins, uh, but Ian is out for this week. We look forward to him, him, him being back with us next week. One of the things we've been trying to do uh, while Ian has been gone, and the same thing he does when I'm not here, is bringing in uh, pastors, ministry leaders, authors, people from the Chicagoland area that we think are fascinating to talk to and that we would be interested for our audience to uh, hear from. So with that in mind, uh, excited to be joined by Dave Getz today in studio. Dave, thanks for being here. I am very happy to be here. Cool. Uh, I'm excited to have you here. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? The best way to start is I have four chillins, <laughs> and uh, the oldest is 24, the youngest is 11. Wow. And uh, so we've got a stretch there uh, of uh, folk inside yeah. the family. My wife is a nurse, and we've lived in Wheaton since we moved here in 1992. We moved here from Colorado, here 
mm-hmm. Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> from here to from Chicago or from Colorado to here. Yeah. And I started a business in 2000 called CZ Strategy. We work with a lot of financial services and tech firms. It's all about standing up the brand and you know, creating marketing automation, really creating marketing systems yeah. for them yeah. uh, so they can generate leads, generate new business, generate biz dev. So that has, uh, which I've started it's in 2000. Yeah. I've started a couple other businesses that haven't been as successful <laughs> since then, and I'm working on another one, so we'll see how that one goes. So. What is it about your personality? Entrepreneur type, like to start stuff, sometimes it works, sometimes it yeah. doesn't. I do not have that personality, even though I started a church. I'm actually not wired. Yeah, you, you have that. Come on. I'm not sure, looking back, but I'm, maybe I am. You maybe did it. I, am. You I did, did it. That's a great point. It's a great point. But it, specifically people who like to start, who start multiple things over their life. What is it that excites you about doing stuff like that? I love, yeah, uh, it was Clayton Christensen who just died. He was a, a, a professor at Harvard University. Mm-hmm. He wrote the book, The Innovator's Dilemma. He also wrote a book on what he called the job to be done. But he always talked about that the most important data is that which has not been created yet. Oh, wow. And so when you think about that, that's what startup is, right? Everything you're doing is new. Everything is a... It's not just failing fast, but it's learning as you go because the first thing you do doesn't work. I just really enjoy that. When I left Christianity Today before I started CZ Strategy, uh, I was a manager of new product development. So I got a lot of uh, hands-on work with developing new websites, subscription websites, book lines, et cetera, et cetera. So I just love the energy of the start. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. What about the person out there who's like, I'd love to do that, but I'm, I'm scared. I, I fear because uh, starting new stuff, it could go badly. It could go well. There's probably a lot of fear there of the unknown. Uh, how do you get past that fear or how did you? First of all, it always goes badly. <laughs> so <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, it's never going to go like you think. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how many we've worked with two, three hundred clients through the years. And, you know, the plans, the pro forma plans never really materialize. Yeah. They're kind of lies and, and lies. So but but. Um, First of all, there's that reptilian part of your brain that tells you it's going to fail and you can't, you know, and, and the, the worst is going to happen. So I always say to people, uh, if you want to start something is do something on the side where there's not as much risk. Hmm. Start something small and and That's create good. something small. You, you don't have to create a new business, but create mm-hmm. something small. You're, you've be, I, the, you know, the pages of Forbes and Fortune magazine are filled with people who started something in the garage. That's true. And so I always say, start small, and it, it, where it's okay to, you know, tr- trial and error. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I love in your bio here it says you have a high boredom factor, which drives you to stay fresh and relevant. I do. What does that look? How does that play out in your life? You're always needing to do stuff, have a hard time sitting around. How, what's that boredom factor? It, it, you know, maintenance is hard for me. Yeah. Which uh, I've had to work at to stay in business for twenty years. Yeah. Because uh, you can't. Be always starting stuff and, and also feed your family. So you have to actually, if you're going to create something, actually create something and then run it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's, I have to, it has to do with reading. It has to do with, I'm a big fly fisher, so I love fly fishing. So there's always energy of learning. So I find things that, that force me that I have to grow. Yeah. Fly fishing would be one of them, by the way. Yeah. Just simply because the moment you start fly fishing, you realize how bad you are at <laughs> casting and learning how to read a stream and fly tying and and so it's just this whole lifetime of learning new so that's yeah. 
where I get my energy. Where do you go fly fishing? You moved from Colorado to Illinois. That feels like that worked against you. Yeah, no kidding. But let me tell you that some of the best fly fishing is in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Is that right? And also north uh, eastern Iowa. It's called the Driftless, the Wisconsin Driftless, the Minnesota Driftless. So eons ago, when the glaciers came through, they didn't go through that area. That's why they call it driftless. The oh. glacier, the, there was no glaciation that came through there. So what you have is uh, you have more topography. You have uh, these different cuts in the land. There's there's wooded areas. So basically, it's on either side of the Mississippi. Yeah, and there are all these spring creeks there that are filled with brook trout and really? brown trout, and they're they're wild. The brook trout were native. The browns weren't. They were introduced, I think, in the 40s or 50s. But it is some of the great, and there's especially Minnesota. I'm a big fan of South um, Eastern Minnesota. I never have guessed that. Rochester, South sure. of Rochester, and there's just terrific fishing out there. That's wild. I never knew that. See, I'm not a Midwesterner by by origin, so I, don't I also know these fish things. a lot in Montana, but. You can't do that a lot. People who love people that I know in my life who love fly fishing love fly fishing. Yeah. So it goes. One of the main reasons I wanted to bring you in uh, is a couple weeks ago, Ian and I were talking about a book, uh, and I kept talking to Ian about this book that like meant a lot to me at a at an important stage of my life. And then we're like, let's just call him the author. So uh, not a new book, but a book you wrote called Death by Suburb. And uh, we referenced it when we were talking about a Christianity Day article the other day about, uh, I think, going to Judea and to the suburbia. And so um, talk to us a little bit about what is even the concept behind that book? What was the overall premise of Death by Suburb? So the thesis of the book was that there are environmental toxins that are invisible that, in a sense, poison the aquifer of our souls. Hmm. That was the big idea of the book. And yeah. so chapter one was the thesis where I laid out that idea. Chapters two through nine, I identified eight toxins that we come across that can infiltrate us. And they're real subtle. Yeah. And so each chapter, chapters two through nine had a toxin and had a counter, yeah. you know, some discipline to help you um, help you with the toxin. I can tell you that after that was 14 years ago when I wrote mm-hmm. the book. I was thinking about this the other day because I don't think about the book a lot as much mm-hmm. anymore. But I was thinking about my own life. Uh, my kids are a lot older, obviously, 14 years. Just the cohort's 14 years older. Uh, we didn't have Jalen then. Uh, Jalen is adopted. Oh, okay. And um, so that was prior to that. And uh, I just I think I'm still struggling with the exact same things that, I, that caused me to write this book. So the book was about me. Yeah. It was not about kind of let's talk about the suburbs and let's talk about strategy yeah. and the suburbs and how <laughs> yeah. they can be a mission field and yeah. you know which is really an arms distance away. That yeah. was not the purpose of the book. The yeah. book was really to really write it first person. And in so doing, mock myself, but also mock my neighbors. <laughs> Which I appreciate. <laughs> uh, ironically, I used to work and I'm very close to one of your closest neighbors. So that, that is, I did appreciate that. But uh, here, when we come back, here's what I want to talk about. Uh, uh, what, were, what are some of those toxins? What are some of the struggles of suburbia and how does it work against our faith? Because uh, we do hear, you know, we want to be encouraging people to be growing in their faith. And I, I've always resonated that there's something specific here in the suburbs uh, that that is difficult. So you're listening to Dave Getz, as we said, author and president of CZ Strategy. When he comes back, when we come back, we're going to dive back into his uh, book, Death by Suburb. That's what we're doing here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 
to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. And as always, you can get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review, then you can listen whenever, whenever it's convenient for you. Uh, and you can also go back then and listen to things if you missed it, including the first segment that we just had with our guest here, Dave Getz. And uh, Dave, again, if you missed this, is the uh, author and he is also the president of CZ Strategy. So we talked a little bit about that in the first segment. But what I wanted to talk about and we began talking about was a book Dave wrote, did you say 14 years ago? Yes, 14 years ago. Man, 14 years. Uh, and it was called is called Death by Suburb. And what it really does is dive into... Uh, and you said very first person, very much about your own life, but uh, the unique struggles of living in the suburbs. And and uh, I used to live in Wheaton, now live in Downers Grove, very suburban, Yep. Uh, grew up outside of New York City, very suburban. And so I think that's why I really resonated with your book going, yeah, I feel these. I do feel these deeply. And, and you said uh, that there are eight toxins. We're not going to go through all of them. But what are some of the highlights? What are some of these toxins that particularly make living in the suburbs difficult uh, and as it as it relates to our faith as well. So out, out of the eight, I'll give you four of Perfect. them. One of them was I want my neighbor's life, mm-hmm. not I want my neighbor's wife, which <laughs> that might be true, but it might be part of the life. that might be part of the problem. But I want my neighbor's life, which is this chronic dissatisfaction yeah. with our lives. Right. We look at people. We never look at people that have less than we do. Mm-hmm. We always are kind of looking up upstream and we see people who have a little bit larger house. They have the Tesla. They Their kids are going to private schools. They're all getting into Notre Dame, yeah. and your kids aren't. <laughs> yeah. And your kids are going to COD. Yeah. And, and, and so there's this, this kind of chronic sense that I want my neighbor's life. One of the issues, even though the suburbs are so much more diverse even today than they were 14 years ago, but even 14 years ago, I remember my son Christian, He was in when he was in first grade or second grade, over half of his class were non-white mm. in the elementary school. Yeah. In fact, I know that bothered some families so much that several of them took their kids out and moved them to the Christian school. Oh, wow. Because they're obviously in the Christian school, they're all white. <laughs> yes. And, wow. and, so, and so, that has, so that has changed. So, but the suburbs are so different. But we are able to, with our small groups and community, yeah. we're able to only you know hang out with the people that are just like us. That's so right. it's I want my neighbor's life. This is insidious. Yes, and so that is one of the toxins. Another one is my life should be easier than it is. Yeah. yeah. So this chronic sense of uh, my life is really hard, and and for many of us, life is hard. Mm-hmm. We have kids with mental illness. We have kids that have gone off the rails. We have difficult marriages. Yeah. I just was in Jewel last night and ran into a guy who he had a, like a two or three year divorce. Ooh. His daughter had to uh. drop out of college. It affected her so much. So that's just a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. So our lives are hard, but we often will look at other people's lives and just think, eh. Yeah, you know they're like, well, I'd like to have that life. And interestingly, you wrote this before the rise of social media. Now you got social totally. media, and that's like gasoline out of this totally fire. Totally gasoline on it. Absolutely. Absolutely, it is the perfect house, the perfect body. Yes. Uh, it's hard actually to watch some some of this um, because it, it it just it does throw gasoline on the fire. Yeah, yeah. Another toxin we talked about is my church is the problem, hmm. which is. You know, the, uh, I think I likened it to uh, what did I liken that to uh, moving from spouse to spouse? Mm. And it was more like philandering than yeah. it is 
you know, people talk about church hop hopping, yeah. but it's really more, I'm dissatisfied. So I go to the next church. I build community over there Then I'm unhappy for a couple of years or my kids age out. And now, you know, we're 54 and now we're kind of unhappy with, you know, this, this church isn't for me. We yep. keep moving around. So yep. my church is a problem. That is a toxin that is so pernicious yes. in the suburbs because we have options. Mm. And, and there's a sense in which some churches don't deserve it like a loyalty. Let's just put it that way. But it also goes to work, I think, negatively on the soul. The, yeah. the last one, not the last of the, of the eight, but the other one I want to talk about is what will this relationship do for me? Mm. So all of us want friendships, but so much of the sub- suburban life is transactional, yeah. really. And it's not just as naked as, you know, how will this person network me to the next job? But does this person make me look better? Wow. I want to be a part of this small group because they have these people in this small group. And there's just this. Um, and so chronic, we, we all struggle with friendship. And yeah, so absolutely. there's a lot of research on this about the isolated male um, and and one big reason is just this inability to make deep friendships. I think it's it's really pervades the suburbs. Yeah, yeah. And so, what are some solutions for people who are feeling this way? Because I think I really resonate with your book. Because every time one of these toxins came up, I'm like, "Yep, that's what I see." And not only in my life, but the people around me. Like it, it's not this very specific person. It's like, nope, that feels like everybody around me is kind of saying that. Uh, and so. Uh, well, let me ask it this way first. What, uh, in totality, is the effect upon our faith? What, what does it do to us as Christians uh, as these kind of toxins, like you say, are, are just part of the stream we live in? I think what it does is it it makes us really average. Hmm. And, 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 and so all this stuff is noise in our heads, and it, we, we don't understand our lives as I think God sees us, yeah. right, as living human beings that are going through struggles— we're able to deny things. We're able to, I just think it makes us, you know, what we all resort to is more prayer and more Bible study and maybe small groups. That's kind yeah. of the answer to every spiritual problem. And the truth is, it's not, yeah. right? More information, more Bible study is probably not what you need. You actually know enough already, <laughs> yeah. right? So you might not need that extra. Yeah. I know that pastors probably wouldn't agree with that. I would agree with that. So, yes. so the book, what it did is it created it, the eight toxins had eight disciplines. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, they're somewhat similar, but they're behavioral. So yeah. um, that's why I'm so against talking about strategy for the suburbs. Yeah. And all. I think yeah. I, I, all that does is create an abstract way for you to opt out of it. Yeah. Stop talking about it. Start doing it. Let me tell mm. you, when we brought in Jalen, who was two years old, in foster care and brought her into her house, it had this ripple effect that affected our son for Mm. years to this day still affects him. So if you want to do something, do something behaviorally Mm. that will change and put your life in an uncomfortable place. Yeah. Yeah. Even when it comes to friendship, put, you got to figure out a way to figure out how to learn how to ask questions of other people, to be interested in other people and to be curious about other people's lives. Yeah. And there's a reason you don't have friends. It's because you're narcissistic. <laughs> All you do is talk about yourself and yeah. about, I want you to listen to the next time you ask somebody, how are you doing? Oh, uh, my son, he got into, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. and then about 10 minutes later, they've not asked you a single question. Yep. This is a true story. I got to tell you. So I've used this to great effect in my business. So I got, uh, there was a tech company, small tech company, and I had landed this job and this, uh, this, uh, this client. And he said, Hey, listen, um, 
I just want you to meet this other guy. He's out in Florida. Let's do a, 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 a go to let's do a, a online call. Let's yeah. do a call. I want him to meet you before I say yes to you. So this guy was a a big sales guy, yeah. and I thought, okay, I could lose this in this conversation. So I early on in the conversation, I thought to myself, hmm, I'm going to turn this conversation around. So we get on the call. There's three of us. And all right, Dave, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? I've heard you, you know, a little bit from the founder, but let me t- tell me about, a little about yourself. I said, you know what? I would love to talk about myself, but I have heard such amazing things about you. Uh-huh. I heard about this and this and this. Literally, 45 minutes later, he was still talking about himself. <laughs> and so at the end of it, he goes, hey, well, oh, it's almost an hour. And I guess, well, I don't see any reason why I'm we good. shouldn't do this. I'm good. Let's, let's do this. Uh, that's fascinating. That would have been gutsy, though, to be like, all right, tell me about yourself. That's good. Wait, I'm glad you're staying, Dave. This is so good. Uh, let's uh, let's do one more segment here. You're listening to Dave Getz. He is the president of CZ Strategy, the author of uh, Death by Suburb. Uh, so coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, and then uh, I do want to get into it. You had another book idea that I found fascinating. So I think we're going to tackle that as well. Coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us. We're joined in studio for one more segment by Dave Getz. Dave is the author of Death by Suburb and also the president of CZ Strategy. Before we get back with Dave, let me tell you something going on here at AM 1160. Uh, AM 1160 is excited to welcome songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday, March the 27th for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Tickets start at $25 and VIP tickets are available for $49 and that includes a pre-concert question and answer. Group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more. So get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That is 1160hope.com. Well, Dave, uh, thank you so much for being here. We've been talking about the book that you wrote now 14 years ago uh, called Death by Suburb. And uh, as we wrap up that portion of it, who's the person out there who is like, like I've given my, said it's been an important book in my life. Who's that person out there listening right now? Kind of the target audience who needs to pick this book up. I think it's those who have bought into this, both the kind of the Christian idea of significance in life Mm -hmm. and also someone who's also bought into the suburban dream and those overlap and somehow connecting your wealth and the goodness in your life with Jesus. And Mm. and and yet you're finding yourself kind of dead spiritually. Yeah. And and so the book really is about you. It was about me. It's like you have to deal with you. Mm hmm. And the classic spiritual disciplines are all about trying to go deeper into understanding that God lives within you yeah. and and trying to understand that. And really, I heard this from, I think it was Richard Rohr, the Catholic writer, who said, mm-hmm. there's only two ways we typically grow. One is through prayer. And since many of us don't really aren't really good at <laughs> yeah. that, at least I'm not. We're ready for number two. Yeah. Number two is suffering. <laughs> nope. Yeah, yeah. And suffering is inevitable. Yeah, yeah. Right now, there are a few people, I have a few friends, I'm like, Meh. the guy was born into a wealthy family. He's made a lot of money since then. Huh? He didn't get a lot of suffering. All <laughs> yeah. his kids are, you know, grown adults and they're beautiful people. But at, in general, it's through suffering is how yeah. we suffer. Yeah. Uh, suffer. It's how yeah. we grow, excuse yeah. me. 
And so it's the one thing in the suburbs that we avoid at all costs. In fact, we look at our suffering as being a deficit. Like I look at my neighbor. Mm. So you start to look at other people. So we avoid it. We have kids with mental illness. We have kids with this. We have a problem in our, you know, we have hard marriages. A lot of us have hard, I don't, but a lot of us have really hard marriages. That's right. And, and it's just part of life. But anyway, it's through suffering that we grow. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, the real deeper life, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. The deeper life is going into that and really understanding that through these different disciplines that have are really 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 yeah. years old. You didn't make them up. <laughs> I did not make them up. No. So anyway, I, I would encourage you all to pick up the book, Death by Suburb. Things that are biblical, right? Like suffering or contentment or other things, Sabbath and silence, all these types right. of things, community that are so important to the Christian faith and so antithetical to the suburban life many of us live. It's I think it's a good read. It's a timely read. People can get it at Amazon, I'm guessing? Yes, Amazon.com. If you want, there uh, a lot of people have done book groups or small groups with it. If you go to deathbysuburb.net, deathbysuburb.net, it will redirect to a Facebook page, and you can download. Nice. The study guides are there. And I think they're pinned to the top of the page. And so if you want those, you just print them out. And uh, it's a guided oh, that's two right. or three to the three uh, through the eight. It's basically an eight week study guide. Awesome. So, well, we encourage you to get that book. Uh, you had I, I wanted to ask you about this real fast. You said uh, you wrote here you have another book idea. Not yet fully baked. <laughs> I, I like the way you put that. I do. And if you're writers out there and you need an idea, you know, you want to beat me to it. I'm, to- <laughs> I'm totally OK with that as well. Because that would then relieve me of having to write it. But I've spent my life in the outdoors. I'm a big fly fisherman. I have a a friend and I developed one of the largest fly fishing podcasts in the industry. Yeah, over four years called Two Guys in a River. Uh, We just (laughs) stopped uh, publishing every week uh, last summer. Okay. At that point, I think it was 10 or 12,000 subscribers. And for, you know, the niche of fly fishing, that ended up being... You know, fifth or sixth largest. Wow. I don't know, maybe in the world. I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, there's some other really big ones, like Orvis has a big one. But I've spent my life in the outdoors mm-hmm. and hunting, fishing, and a lot of fly fishing, and have come up against a lot of risk, where there was one time in which I was fishing the Yellowstone and and got swept downstream. Really? And I thought, I mean, in the moment, I thought I was going to die. Wow. Right? So somehow I made it to shore, and and... But the, the the idea is that, and it's related to actually to the suffering, there's a lot of reason why people do the extreme sports, yeah. because they're really drawn towards that moment in which you break through to this place you didn't think you could go to before, and it's high risk, mm-hmm. and there's fear, there's adrenaline. And so I think my working idea right now for the book is this idea that most of us, when we think of the outdoors, we think of peace, and we think of... You know, we want to be out in Colorado and the pines, mm-hmm. and but I don't think that's the real value. That that's kind of jejun. It's insubstantive. Yeah. Um, yes, you might need more rest, and you might need that, but it, it's really temporary. I think where a real transformation comes, if that's the word, is is when you come up against limits, and mm. you are in the moment where you're about to die. You're cold. You're hot. You're at these extremes, and it's in these extremes that I think you come to the end of yourself. Yeah. And, and there's these awakening moments that happen, and I think that are really wonderful spiritually. So that's the working like idea. Uh, so uh, having never written a book before, what's, what's the process? If, if you go, I'm going for this, are we talking a year? It takes a year? How long does that take you to do? What's the process like? So the process is, you, I, I, my process is I, 
uh, I typically start writing a chapter, what I would call the thesis chapter, where mm-hmm. I think the chapter that is going to be the main center of gravity for the book. And I make sure that I'm working on my thesis the whole time, making sure it's I really understand it, that I know what yeah. I'm writing about. Yeah. And then I'll organize the chapter and structures, you know, put to, you know, you're, you're doing this. You're not doing this sequentially. You're doing this as you're writing. So you got to keep writing. Keep working on your thesis. Keep working on your chapter structure. Oh, sure, sure. But really, to, to get this to a publisher, if that's what I decide to do, um, I need to have one full chapter done gotcha. and the structure done. And uh, so... I, sounds like a good book. I'd encourage you to do it. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. With the last minute and a half or so that we have left, we like to ask our guests this. Uh you know, sometimes we've come to learn that there are people out there who listen to our show who may not even be believers. They may not be church people. It's kind of a passive way to kind of get at things of faith. And so we like to ask our guests, you know, this person out there, they're driving home from work. They kind of resonate with some of the stuff you're saying. They're going, I kind of feel hopeless. I kind of feel lost. Could you maybe in a minute or so just uh, give some encouragement to that person who may be feeling that way right now? Well, uh, not to, you know, Misery, it's not that misery loves company, but that feeling is a really important feeling. It's also the door, I think, to really good things in your life. Yeah. That that moment, I remember, uh, who was it? I think it was uh, Will Williman from Duke University. He used to be the, uh, uh, I used to be his editor when I was at Leadership Journal. Oh, okay. And, uh, but I remember he had this statement about, he, he, he was a pastor. He would visit this woman who was in this, you know, multi-million dollar house, and she had all this anxiety. He goes, you know... You should have that anxiety. That anxiety is a good thing because it tells you that all this stuff that you have is insubstantial mm. and it, it can't satisfy. That's good. So I, I, my encouragement is to is to keep pursuing and don't give up. Obviously, if you're in a uh, in depression or yeah. in, a, in a really bad pace, you need to get help immediately. But uh, sometimes we have this malaise that sticks with us for a while, and we need to listen to that. I yeah. guess I would say listen to that. And follow that and find yeah. people who are maybe a little bit ahead of you. And 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 I, I think you find help in community. I Absolutely. just do. Absolutely. Dave, thank you so much. This was really fun. I know we called you out of the blue. We're like, we're talking about his book. Let's have him in. And so I'm really thankful. Thanks for coming up here and doing this. Uh, this was so much fun. Good. We'll do it again sometime. When you write that new book, come Absolutely. on back Absolutely. We'll That's Dave Getz, uh, again, author of Death by Suburb, also president of CZ Strategy. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. 
Coming up this hour, we're going to be joined in studio by Greg Arthur. Greg is the pastor of Duneland Community Church. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this uh, Thursday. It's Thursday today, this Thursday afternoon. (laughs) We hope you've had a good day and are heading home for the night. Uh, Find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Well, Ian Simpkins is normally with me, but Ian is out for the week. And so what we've been doing all week is bringing in pastors and ministry leaders from in uh, the Chicagoland area. And with that in mind, I am thrilled to be joined by an old college friend of mine, Greg Arthur. Uh, Greg is the pastor of Duneland Community Church. Uh, what, what town is that in Indiana? Uh, Chesterton, Indiana. Chesterton. Everyone's favorite Indiana town. <laughs> Everyone's favorite Indiana town is uh, in Chesterton, Indiana. Do we consider that? Do you guys consider yourself Chicagoland? Uh, I would call us the rural suburbs. The rural suburbs. Of Chicagoland. All right. So, I mean, it's a commuter town. You have South Shore Line. So people live Chesterton, they, they come they, to Chicago. They, they will come to Chicago. All yeah. right. I always just identify it by saying we are a smack dab on the bottom of Lake Michigan. Oh, wonderful. And you, you're right by the Indiana Dunes That's and all right. that stuff. So That's practically right. a beach town. So. It, it is a beach town. There is actually a strange Midwestern beach culture I was unaware of. Really? Oh, yes. Even in the wintertime? Or is this, are you talking like summer people coming I mean, in and people coming out? People live there because of the beach culture. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the houses and the beach homes and that sort of thing. There's definitely a summer beach culture, but uh, I had no idea. I didn't know the Midwest actually had what people yeah. would consider beaches. So. Yeah, because you and I are both East Coast guys. Now, right. people out there know Greg and I went to college together. Greg's a year ahead of me at Wheaton, and uh, both Traber. What were you, Traber? Traber 6. Traber 6. That's I was right. Traber 3. Mm-hmm. And uh, But we haven't talked to each other since college, so Facebook, you keep up a little bit. but uh, So this is fun. I appreciate you coming. Um, Doonlin Community Church. Uh, how long you been there? Tell us a little bit about your church and uh, kind of the vibe of the church. Yeah, uh, Doodlin's story is a great story. It's a, about a 75-year-old church, uh, and it was originally Chesterton Church of the Nazarene. Okay. And it was, a, I guess, a sort of a typical, very small, very traditional Midwestern church. Little white clapboard building hidden, oh, wow. hidden downtown in the neighborhood. Uh, nobody knew it was really there. A small group of about 30, 40 people. Uh, and back uh, about 20 years ago or so, they went through a rebirth. Uh, sold their church building, moved into the elementary school down the, down the street. Wow, sold the building to go into a school. They did, wow. and uh, became Doonland Community Church. Uh, the first decade of that had lots of ups and downs. Uh-huh. Uh, I was called uh, around 2008 to come, and it was in the midst of one of the downs, <laughs> where the church had uh, definitely committed to being a different type of church. They really wanted to reach those who, for whom uh, a traditional church wasn't going to be a connection point. Oh, wow. And, um, but didn't know how to get there. Yeah. And uh, I was young and dumb enough to think maybe... <laughs> I know how to get there. I could get there. <laughs> I was 31 when I arrived. Uh, so, you know, they were desperate and willing to try just about anything at that point. That's and a fun setting to go into. It was. Uh, it was a little bit like uh, jumping into a dumpster fire yeah. at, the, at the time. Um, but it was filled with really great people. Mm. Um, they were just hungry for sort of a, a new vision, a new sense of how to be church. Uh, and over the last 11 years, uh, it really has been remarkable to watch what God has done um, as we've uh, really rebuilt the church from the ground up. Uh, I describe it to people. It's been a lot like flying a plane while building it. <laughs> um, where 
where <laughs> we're, a great we, we've been uh, very aspirational in what we're trying to become yep. while working to become it and trying to sell that vision to our people. Uh, but uh, 11 plus years later, I can't imagine pastor anyone else. It's a oh, that's awesome. Place, so. uh, is it slower than you thought? Like, you, you know, when I, I think you go in at 31 and they call you in for new vision, you're probably like, we're going to light this thing on fire right away in a good way. Yeah. Uh, ha- slow change, slow process, or how's that uh, been? Yeah, the first thing was really clear when I got there was a, it was a church that just needed some healing. Mm. They'd been through some really difficult things. Gotcha. And uh, I, I, I try to, I've learned uh, through mentors to try to lead at the the speed of peace. Mm. And so oh, that's a good line. Uh, we, we, we really began that process of just working through reconciliation and healing before we tried to do stuff. Now, at the same time, the church was in the middle school setting up and tearing down every week when yeah. I got there. And I did that for about two weeks and decided... Well, that, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> They've been doing that for a decade, and yeah, I thought two weeks you had. I'm really out. Uh, so, uh, within the first year there, we moved. Uh, we started leasing out uh, warehouse space at a lumberyard, and uh, that was sort of the first movement forward for us as a church was yep. just to like occupy different space so mm-hmm. that all of our energy was going to just making Sunday morning happen. Yep. So once we eliminated some of that energy, we actually had energy for you know things like being the church. Yes, and uh, and so that began that process, and has uh, ended up being one of those things where we actually ended up buying the lumberyard uh, and transforming that into our our worship space and our and our church home, and uh, it's been a great space for us. And uh, that even being in that that space has really sort of defined sort of who we are as a church. Yeah. Because it's not the sort of space you expect to find a church in. Mm-hmm. It's in an industrial yard. Uh, our backdoor neighbors are a granite business and. The lumber yard still operates out of one other warehouse behind us and right behind a grocery store. Uh, but then people come in and they find this really rich, warm community. Yep. And it's surprising to them. You and I uh, pastor very similar churches. We're in a warehouse building right next to like an athletic complex. Oh, and there you go. People come in and just kind of like, where am I? And and it's, it's, a, it's a fun thing. Tell me your story. Um, like I said, you and I, we knew each other in college. What, sure. uh, I, do you remember we took a preaching class together that I there do. were three of us in the class, a very awkward class. It was a very awkward class. I remember laying on the ground doing breathing exercises <laughs> and I thought, I, I thought this was a preaching class. I don't I remember what it was. I, I think the really, the turning point of my life came, uh, it was uh, early on, I think it was a sophomore year at Wheaton, and I was playing intramural basketball, and it was near the end of the game, and you had the ball. I did. And you did, okay. and we were down two, and I <laughs> stole it from you. I was trying to intentionally foul you, but the refs didn't call anything. I, and I would have made those free throws. And I stole the ball and hit a three to put us up with very little time left, and uh, I think that was really the turning point of my life, Brian. It probably hurt our friendship, though. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to remember you gave me a look like... We both know that was a foul. Yeah. <laughs> and in any normal scenario, that would have been called. B-League intramural basketball that's where right. there was that's lots of fouls. That's where life has changed. So take me from college. Uh, where did you go after college? And what was just, at what point did you know I want to be a pastor? Sure. And talk to talk to us about that journey that has now led you to Doonland uh, Community yeah. Church. Uh, so I went into Wheaton as a political science major. Oh. I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, everybody I'd ever seen really impact the world worked for the government was in politics. Fascinating. Uh, my dad worked for the Defense Department for 39 years. Wow. And I just assumed that if you were going to make a mark on the world, that's sort of how you did it. And uh, during the revival that took place uh, back in spring of 95 at Wheaton, mm-hmm. uh, God sort of swept into my life and just made me very dissatisfied with that with that trajectory. And I didn't know exactly what that meant. It took me about six months to work it out. And then I realized I was being called into the ministry uh, which, although I'd grown up in the church my whole life, I had literally never, ever considered being a pastor. Is that right? And one day I sit in my dorm room. 
I just looked at my roommate and said, I'm going to go to seminary. And he said, when did you figure that out? I said, I have no idea. I just know what I'm supposed to do. And he said, okay. And that was it. And, wow. and I, I've never uh, felt called to anything else since that moment. So yeah. uh, leaving Wheaton, uh, my wife Gretchen and I got married and we moved to Denver. I went to Denver Seminary. Okay. Or did my M- uh, master's divinity degree out there. And we were in Denver for five years. And then uh, we moved to Chapel Hill, North Carolina for five years. Well, I was an associate oh, wow. pastor at a, at a Methodist church out there, uh, which was amazing. I loved it. Uh, I could have stayed in Chapel Hill the rest of my life. It's just it's beautiful. Great town. We were about yeah. two miles down from the Dean Dome. Is that right? UNC plays. And, <laughs> oh, uh, gosh. It, it was heaven. Yeah. It was heaven, especially yeah. for a, an old ACC basketball guy. Yes, yes. It, it was heaven. And, uh, and in the midst of that, uh, we started to feel released from that and God opening us up to what was going to be next. And that was when the opportunity came to uh, move to Chesterton, which mm-hmm. was uh, far away from any family and uh, cold. And a small Midwest town <laughs> yes. and a church without a building or staff or money. And, other than that, it had a lot going on for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. It's amazing. I love to get pastors here just to talk about their pathway. Uh, interestingly, I was the class at Wheaton. Uh, we were the, we were seniors in high school when the revival happened at yeah. Wheaton. And at senior year, we made a T-shirt that said, just miss the revival. Because <laughs> you know how it is. You'd hear right. about it all, all the, the time. time. It was this and dominant we, moment. And we were Absolutely. just like, come on, like another one. So uh, that's Greg Arthur. You're hearing pastor at Doonland Community Church in Chesterton, Indiana. What's the website to your church? Doonlandchurch.org. Doonlandchurch.org. You can find it there. Greg's been there 11 and a half years. Greg's going to stay with us in studio. Coming up next, I'm going to talk to him about an organization uh, that he's been aboard president for and very much involved with. We're going to discuss that organization next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Joined in studio again by an old college friend of mine, a pastor locally here uh, in Chesterton, Indiana at Doonland Community Church, uh, Pastor Greg Arthur. So, Greg, thanks for being here some more, man. I'm so glad to be here. You did not run away during uh, during the commercial break, so... When you you lock the door, it makes it harder. (laughs) Help me out of here. No. (laughs) No, you said you would stay. Um, Before getting into the organization that that you're a part of, uh, besides being a pastor – uh, would you like to do some uh, some Big Ten chirping? Because I do I would know. Be very happy to be. I remember from chirping. college that you are a uh, University of Maryland guy. Absolutely, and uh, they're they're having an okay season. Hey, fear the turtle. <laughs> fear the turtle. La- last night I was actually debating staying up for a game. They were trailing by seventeen. Saw that, and I kept wanting to go to bed, and they kept just <laughs> hanging around. Hit a three pointer with one point eight seconds left. Came back from 17 down to win at Minnesota. Uh, just one of these teams, man. This They've got... I think my favorite thing in college basketball is when you have a senior point guard. That's a good call. And having a senior And not point, many people do. No, because you rarely get the four-year guys. Yep, and yep. last night, Anthony Cowan from Maryland uh, set the school record for most consecutive starts. Yeah, that's going to help you out. That, I mean, like, you just don't get that. <laughs> yeah. So. And he's a PG County, Maryland guy where I grew up, so he's just tough-nosed, and I, I love him. So. That's awesome. Now, I don't understand why you would have taken a call, though, in Chapel Hill, where you said you were on the staff. A Maryland fan in Chapel Hill, that is uh, that is like going to an unreached people group for yeah, you right there. No, that. no, it was, the, it was the opposite. See, I arrived there, and there was only one question when I arrived, Duke or Carolina. <laughs> you go, neither. And I said, when I said Maryland, they all went, because eh. I was in the family, but I was like the cousin nobody really talked about. Yes, but I spoke the language, 
That's interesting. And so I was in, and one year, there was one year when I was in Chapel Hill where Maryland beat the entire state of North Carolina. <laughs> they won every game against Duke, Carolina, UNC Wilmington, UNC Greensboro, <laughs> NC State, and Wake Forest. They were the North Carolina champions. They literally champions. They owned the state, and I walked tall that year. <laughs> and I kept bringing it up. For a long time. That's really funny. So, That's really funny. We won't bring up your old Orioles or uh, or your Washington Redskins. Thankfully, the Orioles no longer play baseball, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> and I do. Uh, my, my New York Giants were only better than a couple teams this year, one of them being the Redskins. Yes. So, uh, Well, you do. Uh, you've done a lot of work with an organization called Free the Girls. You told me off air that you were the board president for eight years. You've taken a little bit of a break from it, but I know still heavily involved with them. Why don't you tell us first... What is that organization called Free the Girls? What is, what is the purpose? What does it do? And then we'll get into why you've invested so much time with them. Sure. Uh, so Free the Girls is a nonprofit that helps provide jobs for survivors of sex trafficking around the globe. Hmm. Um, and so we uh, partner with safe houses that are helping to rescue women. And we come along with uh, helping those women then um, by breaking the cycle of poverty and helping to break down some of the, the cycles that lead to people being trafficked um, by doing job creation. And we train them to run their own micro businesses oh, wow. within that. And so currently we work in Mozambique, in El Salvador, in Costa Rica, and we had a program in Uganda for a while as well. Uh, and so the model that we do that is actually fairly unique. And this is how people generally tend to remember us. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the micro-businesses that these women run is that they uh, sell uh, uh, gently used or new bras in the secondhand clothing markets. Oh, wow. And so Free the Girls collects bras from all over the world and uh, trains the women to run their own businesses selling these bras. So people tend to remember us as the bra people. <laughs> the bra, yeah. I, I will say this. People tend to know me as the bra pastor, <laughs> and my church is the bra church. Really? So, Which I'll, I'll explain all that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so Free the Girls got started uh, about a decade ago, actually by another Wheaton College guy, Dave Terpstra. Is that right? Yep. Okay. And so uh, Dave and I have been friends since college and went to seminary together also. And uh, he's a missionary in Mozambique. And uh, he and Kimba Lingus, the co-founder, were um, – uh, he. Dave, what he does is um, through his organization called A Little Charity, which I also work with, um, he starts uh, businesses to help break cycles of poverty and to help assist local nonprofits and help ministries on the ground. And so he found this incredible safe house in Maputo in Mozambique and wanted to know how he could help. Mm. And job creation was the number one thing. And we'll just call it the work of the Holy Spirit that somehow the idea of bras came about. He was looking for an item that he could collect, but he didn't know anybody else was collecting them. Yeah. What he didn't know at the time was that bras are sort of the gold of the used clothing market um, really? because they have a really high resale rate okay. uh, and they're and price per pound. It's a high value. So Free the Girl started as this little side project, and uh, we thought we would help some women in Mozambique uh, early on when they were forming the organization. Right. Uh, Dave asked if I'd come and help serve on the board because uh, I had done some other work um, around uh, anti-trafficking and helping survivors and said, sure, it was great. Uh, then somewhere in the first year of our existence, uh, CNN heard about us through the Freedom Project, um, and uh, they ran a documentary on us, and they started showing it on their international station. That was about seven or eight years ago. Uh, that took what was a very small project and started to grow it yeah. significantly. Yeah, uh, They've done four or five specials on us and little documentaries throughout wow. the years within that. Uh, and that began this sort of whirlwind of, of kingdom movement where God took this one idea with a couple of friends yeah. and has grown it into this really this uh, incredible global impact. So, uh, yeah. So my involvement, I started as um, just a supporter and then on the board. And then uh, back in 2012, uh, Free the Girls, which was based out of Denver at the time, uh, approached me and said, hey, uh, our international shippers in Chicago, 
Um, what if we sent the brawls that are coming into your church uh, instead of to Denver mm. and doing that? And that week, I happened to be buying a, a lumberyard warehouse <laughs> to turn into a <laughs> there church. You go. And I said, well, we're in. Yeah. I think we've got the space. And uh, up to that point, three of the girls had probably collected, I don't know, forty or 50,000 bras. Uh, in the last uh, seven years or so since then, uh, we have received at our church, I think it's around 1.7 million bras during that time. Wow. That we have brought in, sorted, repackaged, and sent out out around the globe to help these women uh, run these businesses. So. That's awesome. What effect has this had on your church, on the local church, as they've been a part of this? Uh, it has been uh, absolutely transformational. Yeah. Um, not only around actually understanding uh, human trafficking, um, but being a missional vehicle for people to really get engaged. Mm. I think one of the reasons Free the Girls, uh, which you can check out at freethegirls.org, um, one of the reasons uh, it's done so well is you hear about something like human trafficking and yeah. you just think, what can I do? Right. It's so big. It's so enormous. What can I do? And this was a very practical entry point for people to get engaged. Mm. And so immediately um, women's groups and schools and sororities and all these like and just an average person who found out about a home were started sending in these bras because it was a, an initial step into actually doing something. Wow. And so for our church, it really became um, uh, something that helped us grow together as a people because this is a. It's a task we took on. We didn't have any idea what we were actually taking on when we took it on. Yeah. We didn't know 1.7 million bras later or whatever it is that we'd you know, still be collecting yep, these. And yep. every single day, UPS and the Postal Service and FedEx would show up at our church with just more boxes you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. Uh, but it's also spurred some really cool things with our people, too, around um, getting them involved in trafficking issues locally. Mm. So we have, a, we have a ministry at our church called Just Love. Um, that's doing not just education um, and working with anti-trafficking organizations in Northwest Indiana, but is actually going into local strip clubs mm. um, to help minister to women who are in the sex industry. Wow! Uh, and and building uh, building a bridge for them back to the kingdom and yeah. connection point, and doing that too. So we've seen uh, lots of really incredible things build out of this partnership. Yeah. Can other churches, if people are listening right now, and they're like, "That sounds like a, like a really great idea." Uh, you looking for partner churches? Is this something anybody can jump in and yeah. be a part of? Yeah, Free the Girls, uh, we have partners around the entire globe. Wow. Um, and we actually have several now um, uh, retail partners. Uh, Haynes Brand, every one of their stores in the country is a brawl drop-off location for Free the Girls. Wow. Uh, Aerie, another one. Uh, every Aerie store in the country is a drop-off location for Free the Girls. And you can actually go to the website and uh, pull up the map of, of the U.S. and shows you where brawl drop-off locations are wow. for our partners. And, uh, yeah, you can sign up there to host a broad drive. Uh, you can, we help you run things like a Freedom Sunday where you want to highlight trafficking and, and, and get people engaged in that. It can be for individuals, organizations, schools, uh, you know, anybody who wants to get engaged. That's awesome. Do it. Yeah. And, uh, and you are the bra pastor. I have, I have been known this at several times. I, was, I, spoke, <laughs> at a, I spoke at a college campus in Chapel uh, not too long ago and was walking around the campus later. And this guy's like, Hey, bra dude! <laughs> bra dude! Bra dude! <laughs> and I thought, yes, that's me. That's me. That's me. I'm just gonna own it. <laughs> you just have to, you have to. This is not part of my uh, intentional trajectory yeah. as a pastor was to end up as the bra pastor. But hey, I'll take it. That's and the, what God has the next move is that Seinfeld episode, right? You got to move into the, the bro. bro. <laughs> that's right, the bro. I have all bra related humor jokes ready to yes. go at all times. Uh, this is uh, Greg Arthur. You're listening to Greg is the pastor of Doonland Community Church in Chesterton, Indiana. And 
and also been telling us about Free the Girls. You said uh, freethegirls.org. You can find out much more information about what sounds like is a fabulous organization. Well, Greg's going to stay with us for one more segment. Uh, We're just going to hit all over the place. Uh, You've never been shy about sharing your opinion, so I'm going to let you do that on some things here. We're going to try not to get fired. We're going to do that next (laughs) here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online 1160hope.com. And as always, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, and uh, it helps. You can go back and listen to some of the stuff we've done this week with many different guests, including our current guest, Greg Arthur, in for a third segment. If you want to hear kind of Greg's background, also the organization he works with called Free the Girls, you can go on our podcast and find those last couple. Greg is the pastor of Doonlin Community Church, has been for the last 11, 11 and a half years. Doonlin is in Chesterton, Indiana, the beach town. And That's so... It. I'm, it is impressive you call it a beach town because I know you grew up on the East Coast like I did, yeah. and the beach means something very specific. What, when we first moved there and we took our kids to the lake, we said, hey, we're going to go to the beach. And they got there and they looked at it and said, that's that's not the beach. <laughs> <That's> not- <laughs> I'm like, for, for Indiana, it is. It is. It is. Did you grow up by Ocean City? Uh, no, I, mean, I grew up right outside D.C. So oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So. A couple summers ago, we spent a week in Ocean City, and it was it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, so a couple of different. I want to shoot a couple different ways here. You, as if you're not doing enough at Doonlin and through Free the Girls, uh, you're also in the midst of getting your doctorate at Northern in contextual theology. Uh, I guess I would be curious, uh, why? Why did you choose to uh, do doctorate work with all this other stuff? You've got a family, you've got kids, you've yeah. got a lot going on. Why, why pursue a doctorate? Uh, I think I knew for a long time that I wanted to get a uh, richer theological base from which uh, to really lead our people. Um, my particular passion and calling is helping the church uh, innovate and find new ways and new models of being the church and do spiritual formation uh, in our rapidly changing world. Hmm. And um, what what got us here is not going to move us forward. Hmm. And um, and so I'm, I'm a self-learner, and I've read a lot. You know, I hadn't been in a classroom since uh, May of 2001, <laughs> but yeah. I have continually been reading and learning. And I just knew that I, I wanted to uh, spend some more time and do that intentionally. And uh, God just sort of made it clear it was the right season to begin doing that. And my church very generously uh, has a lot of the time and given me space to, to pursue that. That's so. awesome. When will you be done? Hopefully in 2023. <laughs> okay. A doctor work is uh, that's so that's so much self-directed, right? Or or at least having to do it on your own that yeah. I that takes some discipline. It does. I uh I get up around 4 a.m. most mornings and that's when I do my reading and study. Uh For real. Yeah, cuz that's the only the only way to not disrupt my life yeah. is to to get up early and get the reading in and put in a couple hours of work and then get on with life. So, Man, I'm impressed and I'm challenged by that right there. Uh, let me ask you this question, uh, a pastoral crush, uh, question. Uh, you may not be aware of this. There's an election coming up this year. Uh, uh, here in Illinois or? Everywhere. Oh, okay. Everywhere, yes. Okay, yeah. uh, so not as curious about where do you stand, who do you want to vote for. I'm curious as a pastor what do you see your role with, particularly with your congregation, mm-hmm. in in terms of helping them navigate these mm-hmm. next months of an election season? What's that going to look like for you? Yeah, I think a lot of what um, that looks like is is stuff that we've been working on the last couple of years. Uh, I felt pretty taken aback, actually, uh, by how much animosity and how much division there was all of a sudden around 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, in our church, I wasn't, I just wasn't expecting it. Yeah. And uh, I think I, I was slow to know how to respond within some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we spent the last number of years really trying to press into um, learning what charitable discourse is mm. and how to talk with each other and not living with um, enemies. Yeah. I, you know, the one thing about the kingdom of God is uh, we don't have enemies. We have neighbors. Mm. And so I just continually push our people to move away from anything that feels like enemy making. Yeah. Because that's that's rooted around ideology and that's not around uh, any of the work of God. And yeah. Um, so we just we talk about that a lot. We spend a lot of time praying together. We, yeah. we eat a lot of meals together to try to name that. And our church is fairly purple. Like mm. with blue and red, like we yeah. have a pretty big mixture in our areas, uh, uh, an interesting mixture of different cultural dynamics. So um, I think we do a fairly decent job of that. Uh, we have a sermon series coming up uh, where, we're, uh, where we're just naming some of the things that are hard to talk about. And I'll do a segment on politics and okay. actually talk about that um, and talk about how to talk about it. That's, a, that's and, good. And its, yeah. and its role within that. Yeah. Um, and so we talk about politics. We just don't talk about uh, the issues that either political party wants us to talk about. Yep. We talk yep. about the nature of politics. That's great. And our politic together as a people. Yeah. So. What else is, I'm curious, what else is in that sermon series? Hard things to talk about. Uh, we're talking about race, sex, money, and politics. Okay. Uh, you can meet him at, find him at Doonland Communities. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. Yeah. If, if we don't, if we don't create space for these conversations in the church, then we can't ever expect our people to have any idea how to talk about them outside of our, our church. So. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, what is your, hmm, are you um, optimistic for this election season for the church as a whole? So not your particular church, evangelical church, evangelicalism mm-hmm. as a whole. Uh, are you, or are you worried? Are you like, Oh, this is, we're going to go off the rails here and it's, it's going to take a while to get back. Are, are you under some, uh, idea that we are on rails right now. <laughs> That's a good point. Is there some sort of idea? <laughs> I'm an optimist. We are currently on <laughs> rails. Uh, very I, valid point. I, I am an eternal optimist, yeah. and uh, I am not overly concerned about it because uh, Jesus is Lord. Yeah. And the rest sort of doesn't really matter that much. It's not that it, it doesn't matter and that the issues don't matter and the election doesn't matter. It's just that uh, in the big picture of things, uh, this will all pass. Mm-hmm. And I'm really concerned about uh, what the church learns from this mm. about its place in our culture, about um, how what it means to be good news in our culture, yeah. about how we create space for people. Uh, and I just, like I said, I really want us to get out of the enemy making business yep. because th- unfortunately more and more, that's what the church is known for in mm-hmm. our country is who we're against. And I just want to be for people. Yeah, I, I don't need to be against anybody. Mm. I just want to be for people. I want to be for all people. I especially have a heart for the marginalized. I have a heart for the oppressed. I have a heart for those who are suffering uh, and if we if we can be more known for that, I'm fine. Yeah. Like we'll we'll figure out the rest. Yeah. If you don't if you're not into enemy making though, social media is probably not a good spot for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm that annoying guy. Yeah. I I like to jump into threads where people are really angry and try to offer some sort of very calm, <laughs> rational, well thought out statement that everybody ignores. <laughs> <laughs> who's that guy? <laughs> what is that? Who invited this who, guy to who's this at thing? Bra Pastor right, right there? <laughs> forget, forget that guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> On a personal side, tell me, um, there is so much to being a pastor. Mm-hmm. There are so many different hats that we wear. What are one or two of your favorites? What do you love about being a pastor? I I love uh, helping to develop leaders. Mm. How do you do that? Um, uh, really intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a staff of, um, of three women that I lead that God has, has placed with me that are all so, so different. And I've learned so much helping to 
to mentor and lead them and help them grow into their ministries mm. and their calling and, and do that. Um, but then when it comes to with our, our lay leaders, um, my primary job and how I run our church is that I develop the leaders mm. and I allow leader then to develop other leaders mm. and try to disciple people who actually go and disciple others. Yeah. Uh, and so we sort of de- are decentralized as far as I don't really run any of the ministries at our church. Mm. I just lead the people who do and I help try to help people um, identify God's own call in their life. Yeah. You know, what is God saying to them? What are they going to do about it? Yeah. And, and, um, and so I just, I'm just really passionate about that. I love just investing into people and watching them grow uh, and seeing them really experience that freedom of, uh, of living inside of God's calling. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the last kind of minute, minute and a half we have left here, we've made a habit of asking pastors. We've, we've come to learn with our show that, you know, a lot of people who listen are believers in churches, but there's also a segment of people who you know, they might be a believer, but they're not a part of a church. There's also a segment of people who aren't believers. It's kind mm-hmm. of like a entryway to kind of listen and kind of passively. Um, so understanding that, knowing there are probably people listening right now who are feeling really hopeless, mm-hmm. who are feeling uh, questioning a lot with their lives. I, I love to let pastors just speak to those people in their car, wherever they are, who are just feeling really hopeless. Maybe uh, pastor them, give them some pastoral word. Sure. Um uh, the 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 best news I know is that uh, when God chose to come and change the world, uh, He put on our flesh and lived with us. Mm. Like the good, the Christmas is the promise of Emmanuel that God mm. is actually with us. Yeah, and that there there is no place, there is no moment in our life when we're ever outside of the presence of God. Mm. Um, so wherever you are, whatever moment you're in, um, uh, there there's going to be lies and things that tell you that you're alone and that God doesn't see you, God doesn't know you, but. That's actually the hope we have. It's everything we have is built on not some sort of religion um, or even scripture. It's on the hope that God is with us mm. and present with that. And uh, if we are open to and aware of and looking for that, God will reveal God's self to us mm. in that. Um, so that's that's where I find my hope is knowing that there's nowhere I can go, no moment where I'm outside of God's presence and God's uh desire to be with me. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming. I know that yeah, was great. It's not exactly a short drive from Chester to not bad. Not it's too bad. Rural, like you said, Chicago's rural outskirts. So uh, we're really glad you've been listening to Greg Arthur, pastor of Doonland Community Church. What was the website again? Doonlandchurch.org. Doonland Church. We'd encourage you to check it out, especially if you live uh, just around the lake there in Indiana. Uh, go check out their church. Also, Free the Girls, uh, the organization Greg has been a part of. You can find more at freethegirls.org. And uh, it's great to see you again, man. Thanks yeah, for coming by. It's a pleasure. Thanks. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. So that music can only mean one thing. It's the end of the show. Something we like to call interweb insanity around here. This is a chance for our producers uh, have found stories, crazy stories from the Internet. Uh, we have not seen them. I have not seen them. I have not heard uh, the sound effects. Uh, hopefully they're funny. Uh, John, who was it today? Was it you? Was it Keith? Keith is today. I am tomorrow. Okay. Thank you for the warning. So here we go. <laughs> Basically, we just turn them over and read them. Let's do this. Ohio. Photo of dog keeping boy company during timeout goes viral. Oh, you got to see this picture. Uh, this is true friendship. An adorable photo of a dog joining his best buddy in timeout so he didn't have to serve it alone has gone viral. Jillian Smith uh, says her three-year-old son Peyton was being punished after getting into a fight with his five-year-old sister. She gave him two choices. Go to your room or go to timeout. Peyton chose timeout. Uh, with his head against the wall, the family's English mastiff named Dash decided to join him. 
Smith wrote, when you're in timeout, but your best pal won't let you serve your time alone. The photo of the duo has been shared over 43,000 times on Facebook. When Smith saw them together, she called the Dodo. She told the Dodo, I couldn't be mad long because it was just so cute how Peyton wrapped his arm around Dash. When Peyton had to go into timeout, I think Dash knew he needed his buddy. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. (laughs) I thought that one was the one coming. Uh, New Jersey. Man paid for gas with $100 bill marked for motion picture use only. A clerk at a Middlesex County gas station unwittingly accepted a fake $100 bill that was intended to be used in the movies. South Brunswick police on Monday tweeted a photo of the front and back of the phony bill, which has the words for motion picture use only printed on both sides. Detectives tracked down a 20 year old Somerset County man who said he was surprised the clerk took the money. Police could not be reached uh, Tuesday to say whether the man from Montgomery had been charged in the incident. Was that wrong? <laughs> Should I not have done that? I mean, feels like if you get away. No, no, I can't say that. No, no. You could, but don't endorse. No, nope. just say bad. Yeah. <laughs> Next one's out of Pennsylvania. Four-year-old student found meth inside library book he was returning to school. Here's Keith is back. Is this wrong? (laughs) State police say they're investigating after a four-year-old student found methamphetamine inside a library book he was returning to school. Troopers say the drugs were found Wednesday at Shanksville Stony Creek School District. Teachers secured the drugs and then turned them over to Indian Lake Police Department. State police say the investigation is ongoing. They reached out to the school district and received the following statement. In response to seeking additional information, we cannot comment on any aspect of any ongoing criminal investigation other than to assure that in any given instance of which we are aware, our protocols have been followed and we are not aware of any danger to any students. We do not. Uh, we do note that the Shanksville Stony Creek uh, School District has an agreement with the Indian Lake Borough Police for on-site police presence to ensure student safety and they may refer particular matters to the state police. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. <laughs> I saw. Yep. North Carolina. A reporter accidentally turns on Facebook filters before going live. This forecast is cloudy with a chance of cartoon effects. Uh, a North Carolina TV reporter gave viewers a different perspective on the news after accidentally switching on Facebook live filters before going live as seen in a now viral video. Uh, ABC 13 anchor Justin Hinton says he thought he was delivering a serious report about the first legitimate snowfall we've seen this season. Instead, the Charlotte journalist presentation went hilariously awry after he inadvertently turned on the Facebook mask filter, causing him to be bombarded with various animated looks during the broadcast. In the one minute clip, Hinton can be seen reporting on a snowfall in Asheville, completely oblivious to the fact that he's been digitally outfitted with googly eyes, a wizard hat, dog ears, barbells, and more. A mysterious electrical storm is currently wreaking havoc with our studio, but I'm not one of those brainless dolts who mindlessly reads a teleprompter. Error 401 backslash backslash <laughs> colon reset C drive shutting down. <laughs> That's funny. Last one's out of Michigan. Woman fires shot into Taco Bell. After becoming upset over order, a 33-year-old woman is facing multiple felony charges after police say she fired a shot inside a Flint Taco Bell after becoming upset over her order not being filled. Uh, An employee told police that a woman identified by police as 33-year-old Brittany Felton was in the drive-thru and upset about her order. Felton then displayed a purple handgun and fired one shot that hit the building, but it did not strike anyone. She then fled the scene. 
Surveillance video from the restaurant was used to assist detectives with identifying the suspect and her vehicle. Felton was later arrested by police. A vehicle and handgun were also located. Felton was arraigned February 22nd on two counts of assault with intent to murder and felony firearms. She's due back in court on March the 5th. Have you ever heard the expression, the customer is always right? Yeah. Yeah, well, here I am, the customer. That's not our policy. You have to order something from the lunch menu. (laughs) I like that clip. Well, that's a great way to end the show. If you missed any of it, let me encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. Here, Dave Getz, here, Greg Arthur, both of whom were great interviews. And we hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to be joined in studio by Kevin Sampson from Renewal Church in West Chicago. And we're going to have a great time together. Uh, My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.